Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I'm Cathy Weiss and this is Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio. Words out. Freedom of species has hit the airwaves. Tune in for debates and updates on both local and international animal protection news and events and learn about how you can live a cruelty-free, sustainable lifestyle. News, views and non-leather shoes. That's Freedom of Species, 1pm Sundays on 3CR. Authorised by the last few remaining kangaroos, Canberra. Hi everyone, my name's Liz McKinlay. I'm an Associate Professor in Education at the University of Queensland in Brisbane and you're listening to Radical Philosophy, 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. This is Emma Larking. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the Australian National University and I love the program Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on the AM dial. And welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. And today we're going to go to part two of a two-part interview. And I'm speaking to Dr. Rivka Wickenbird about tolerance. Welcome yes. to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Brilliant. So the paradox of tolerance. Yes. yes, so the assumption is, of course, that when you talk about tolerance, that you would be tolerant to everything. And it links in with what I talked about last time with that full acceptance. And full acceptance can be very dangerous because you do end up accepting things that may not be, might be actually intolerable. You know, as I said, I mentioned, I think, things like pedophilia, for instance, or uh, yeah, uh, marriages. Is that, well, once, you, once you say, well, I'm not going to tolerate it, you are already talking about being intolerant. And so that's where the paradoxes comes into it, that you, ha- you become intolerant to the intolerable. And it's a big debate in philosophy about the intolerable of, in- you know, intolerance of intolerable issues. And then, of course, what is intolerable? Intolerable might be different for different people. Mm, that's you know, right. I don't suppose we'd ever be 100% tolerant of anything, would we? Yeah, no, we can't. I mean, let's, I think I mentioned last time things like, you know, marrying off a, 13, uh, a very young girl to a man three, four, five times older than her is in our society unacceptable because it does break her human rights, um, you know, obligation to, our, our obligation to work to her as a, as a, in terms of human rights, in terms of moral values, in terms of her education, in terms of her right not to become pregnant early, in terms of her right to be a child. 
So, you know, it, there's a real, you know, so it becomes a conflict, cultural conflict, I'm not true, but then, you know, there are intolerable issues that some people will say, no, you have to tolerate it. I would say no. And that's why I move it into the moral domain, because once you're in the moral domain, you can look at, look at, you can actually think about it in terms of moral values, human rights values, and really, that could still be controversy, let's face it. Mm. <laughs> it's not always straightforward, but... But for me, it's, you know, for me, there's clear things. There are clear messages that says, if, and I think I told them, talked about the harm principle last time too. If the harm principle, you know, if it says to you, hang on, this, this might be harmful to the other person or to a group, then you have to think about it very carefully. So tolerance, you know, tolerance can be, it's very paradoxical in nature. Yes, so is there a connection between tolerance, empathy and morality? Mm-hmm. Fairness, empathy, and reason are very important psychological theories of morality and moral development. And there's a lot of, there's a big, substantial body of research to support this, particularly, uh, you know, uh, particularly in relationship to empathy and pro social behavior. And what do I mean with pro social behavior? Pro social behavior is, is, positive, is, is positive in nature, it is a behavior which is cooperative, helpful, intended to promote social acceptance, cohesion and friendship and bond between people. And in my own research about tolerance, I found that the link between empathy, morality and is very, uh, between empathy and morality is, because empathy is so strong in morality, and I also find it incredibly strong, a strong predictor in tolerance, and because I see tolerance as a moral issue, they seem to, for me, do, uh, are overlapping in, in a really quite substantial way. You know, and my own research uh, points very strongly to how people actually very much talk about caring about other people, how they would, how other people would feel if they're treated badly, and you know, there's a lot of empathy coming through in their responses to what I use dilemma-like stories about, you know, uh, discrimination and things like that. So that's what I think their relationship is there very strongly. Could you explain about the golden rule of tolerance? Yeah, the golden rule, I think, is an archetypal example of tolerance. Uh, it's familiar in, in, in our Western world society. It's familiar through do unto others that you would have them do to you, which is sort of from uh, the Christian Bible. And the reflection, and then also uh, love thy neighbors, you find in the Jewish Bible, in the Hebrew Bible. And it's reflected almost in every major religion. So you find it in... Uh, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, uh, Judaism, as I said, and of course Christianity. And I think what I have from all my reading and all my thinking about it, I think it's based on perspective taking, reciprocity, altruism, care and empathy. And these are all obviously relevant for tolerance, uh, tolerance that I think of as care and respect. So the golden rule is a moral obligation to treat others well. So when you say love thy neighbor as thyself, it means you know treat them well as you would treat yourself, or do unto others as you do, to, you know, as you want them to do to you. It's exactly the same thing. If you, you, you know, sometimes arguments, silly arguments come. What if I love? I'm a masochist, but that doesn't mean that you know uh, the other person necessarily will enjoy masochism. So it's about treating them in the way they want to be treated rather than, you know, you think they should be treated, which is really important. And I think that's what tolerance is about too. And I don't think, what I'm trying to say is that being tolerant and accepting of others is, 
it's not a very new idea, but it has existed since time immemorial. To desire to live cooperatively and harmoniously goes back thousands and thousands of years, and it's also significant in contemporary time. Of course, when I say it's go back a long time, it's not that it's always been successful, obviously. I mean, we know it's not been successful, but as an ideal, it's there. As an ideal, it's there that we should treat other well, other people well as we want to be treated ourselves. Now, interestingly enough, in my research, my student, the students I interviewed came out with a, a user golden rule quite spontaneously. So here's an example, for instance, by a 12-year-old who was responding to a dilemma about a young Asian excluded from a club, and this is what this young person said. Put in what it would be like to be in his shoes or in his place. So they actually do use the golden rule. In fact, I had students who use it. They use expressions like, do unto others. And imagine what it would be like, would be like to feel like to be treated badly. So I think, and, and if you start putting yourself in someone else's shoes, it requires a degree of imagination and a, and a sense of perspective taking and reciprocity. And perspective taking means that you actually enter into someone else's shoes and know what, what life is like from their perspective. And so I think it's, it really requires the the understanding of the mental state of other people, how they feel, what they think, what they desire. And, and when you do that, then you're much more likely to reject, uh, reject discrimination and prejudice because you can understand how badly it feels. So that's why I think golden rule and tolerance are very closely related. And they are very, uh, you know, they, they are not, as I said, the golden rule is not new. Tolerance may be a little bit more fashionable to talk about it, but that's not a new concept either. It's been around for a long time, particularly about religious tolerance. What is the relationship between free speech and tolerance? Interesting, I think. Both of them are essentially human rights issues, but they seem to... You imagine that something like tolerance and free speech would sit easily together, but they don't necessarily always do they. They can coexist without conflict, but it's not always the case. Now, for instance, think about the debate about restricting hate speech. And you know how some people say you must allow freedom of speech under any cost, which is our previous Human Rights Commissioner, Tim Wilson, argued for. Whereas others would say, no, you can't allow hate speech and you need to either punish it or curtail it. And by doing that, you curtail freedom of speech. So these are, you can see how they are inter intertwined together and some people again remember the paradox of, tol of intolerance that some people would say that it is intolerant to curtail freedom of speech and there again we have the notion of, of tolerance can be paradoxical in nature now from my perspective from my psychological perspective I find that young children from about 12 years of age subordinated tolerance to, uh, to freedom of speech and uh, when they were in conflict with each other. They actually, very, very importantly, they never ever agreed. I would say that 99% of the time, they disagree with the idea that you could actually act badly towards people, discriminate against them. What they did say was that you can talk about it because as one of them said, we have freedom of speech, we're allowed to say what we want. Or, you know, even more, they sometimes would say you're entitled to have opinions about it and, and, and beliefs. So, again, we have, opinion, we have the right to think what we want, we've got the right to say what we want, but we can never act on it. And so that's quite interesting that, you know, they distinguish that. And, in fact, 
what what we find is that uh, philosophers such as John Stuart Mill summarizes it exactly the same way, and he says the same thing. You, he believes that you, if you want, you can talk about ideas that might hurt. You can you can think about them, you can talk about them, but you can never act on them, and that's where the harm principle comes into it. So it, I don't know where kids so young come come across this idea because they certainly don't study John Stuart Mill. But I think what they do do is they learn about their freedom of speech very quite early because they start from 12 years old. I don't think it's innate. I think it comes through learning. And then while they are essentially tolerant in nature, and I do find Australian kids very tolerant, generally speaking, they also knew a lot about freedom of speech and wanted to use that in part of their discussion. So there's a sort of a intermixed there that I think education needs to take care of very carefully and that perhaps does reflect our education system. So that's where the two of them seem to interact together. Do you think that it's possible to be able to teach people tolerance? Yes, I do actually think so. It's essential to to use age-appropriate and relevant material to students' experiences. So you can start from very young and it you know and move along with age with you know material more and more suitable and in some way that were do you remember that program stand with us yes it was so controversial partly i be, i don't want to see anybody disadvantaged but partly i think one of the issues they were con- was um controversial i think that and and it was the age appropriate uh, material that was produced rightly or wrongly it may have been the wrong material for such young children that it started out with, whereas with 15, 16-year-old, I think it would have worked very well without controversy. And my experience is this, that you do not actually need necessarily teach tolerance directly at that age. What, what children, young children are very, very attuned to is fairness, followed by empathy. So you can actually encourage from very early age material that actually doesn't have a home tolerance but encourages and you can teach empathy you can teach uh, fairness you can teach all those things and I think when you started very young people and develop them into uh, empathetic fair-minded and sort of pro-social individual we are a long way in promoting tolerance and then with age you can actually start teaching tolerance directly one of my suggestions is you know for instance uh, to kill a mockingbird would be ideal for you know middle high school or maybe high high school to bring about the whole idea of how to teach uh, how you know what tolerance is all about role acting play acting all of those sort of things can be very useful but i don't think they need to be always hammered home i think a lot of it can be indirectly now the other thing that is when I first started this work, oh, I never heard the word tolerance used in the academic field with teacher, but you do find today that, that uh, in most democratic society, it's inevitably part of their formal and informal school curriculum, and there are many, many educational institutions that now develop programs, and also it's prevalent in the informal setting with lots of NGOs and uh, you know, government bodies, all involved with the idea of tolerance. So you'll find that many schools across the world incorporate programs in their curriculum that involve teaching tolerance, and while, uh, while some programs are straightforward, others are quite unusual. I'll tell you one, I don't know if you've done, um, maybe you know, I need to put this in, but there's a program in America that became very, very controversial where 
where children, it's a bit like the Stand With Me, where children were actually asked to pretend that they were, you know, black or white, when they had to, very young children who still, you know, struggled with the whole idea even of, of differences. And some, and some people, and, and they had to describe where they came from and what their own background was and, and define their own sort of um, racial background. And by the way, I don't believe in race. I actually think there's only one human race. We are 99.8% similar in our, in our makeup, everybody. So the whole idea of racial differences doesn't appeal to me. And also I think tolerance should never have anything to do with color or race. That should be given that people are all treated the same. So it's about, and I don't know if you remember, I know I talked a lot about the beliefs and practices. Yes, yes. They're the one that I'm, you know, think the rest of it, to, and uh, I'm not the only one who feel that way. There's a few philosophers who feel the same way about the idea that once we talk about color, skin color, then, you know, there should, there should be no, no discussion even that that has to be part of acceptance. It's not, you know, something you put on. So that's about it, and I also want to add that in my book, The Tolerance of Glue That Binds Us, which has just come out, there is a whole chapter dealing with education on tolerance. Do you think that it's good enough for people to just not to act with intolerance? You mean to, yeah. I, I think, put it this way, this is going back to, you know, what do we do about beliefs, what do we do about uh, speech, what do we do But in the final analysis, it's better to act with that, with tolerance than with intolerance. Do we want to move beyond it? I think we want to advance it and move beyond it. We want people to understand very deeply what it means to be a tolerant, accepting, caring, compassionate human being. And again, I'll come back to the whole thing. Practices, beliefs and practices that do not harm others should be without, as far as I'm concerned, there should be no question about them. Then there is those that I said before, there are practices where we have to be, you know, a little, we might put up with it, that's with the difference. We may put up with it, but at least we do nothing about it. And then there's the final one, which I said, you know, we have, there are some practices we just cannot, and beliefs which we have to actually reject. But generally speaking, I think anything that doesn't harm anybody else, then we need to advance it. But in the final analysis, if people just sort of, accept without, uh, don't reject, just put up with it, it's better than nothing. You mm. know, although we need, we hope to move beyond it, we, you know, a whole, whole lot of possibilities with new education and a, a new generation coming up. Right, so that leads me into my next question. Mm. Is there any way that we can protect tolerance or even advance it? Well, I think it's the same, in a way the answer is very similar in that, you know, Governments have to be very firm. Schools have to be very firm. Institutions have to be very firm that there cannot be discrimination. It, it can never be acceptable. Once upon a time, people got away with it, you know, even gender di- uh, discrimination. That's all becoming questionable. So I think to protect it, we need to always question why. And we need to advance it by suggest new ideas of dealing with things. So I think, yes, I think it's, all of that is possible. And I think we're opening, the world is opening up, particularly the Western world, is opening up into new ideas about the relationship between, you know, the individual and another person if they are from different background, different culture, different practices. Even, you know, I think this also applies to gender differences. It applies to uh, sexual differences or sexual preferences. It applies to disability. 
I mean, discrimination, uh, lack of tolerance needs to go. Tolerance, and I don't, you know, people, again, it's not tolerance of putting up with it. Tolerance of respect and compassion and care needs to go across the board. Yes, that's right. And um, in a sense, it's not really, more in a sense, you're discriminating against people with disabilities if you're not willing to do something about making the environment more accepting. Yes, exactly. Or more accessible. Yes, yes, exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of things that occur that relate to each other, and it goes across the whole thing. It's also about religious tolerance, and and, uh, everywhere where, you know, differences occur, we need to think in terms of tolerance of, as I said, compassion, care, consideration, empathy, justice. All of those things are really, really important. And also, you know, we need to develop a really strong logic and reason about why this is so important for society to live in harmony. And you know, what I mean, with, with the, the mass migration, the, the changes of demographics, it's essential. Absolutely essential. Yes, it certainly is. So do you have any future study plans in the area of tolerance? Uh, right now, um, I finished that book. It took me quite a while to write. So that's sort of what I'm going to try to promote a bit of work on. And the book is called Tolerance, the Glued Binder, so Empathy, Fairness and Reason. I have a project going on that has just an early uh, infancy with Winchester, Winchester University in England to do some co- collaborative work. But whether that will come off, I'm not quite sure. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I've been speaking to Dr. Rifka Wittenberg about tolerance. This is Joan Nessel speaking on and for Radical Philosophy at 3CR. I can remember speaking early when I first arrived uh, to Melbourne at a program called the Women's Shed, and that was my introduction to the wonders of community radio, which are more important in the world now than ever. Yeah, well, they certainly are very important. Well, that's all we have time for today. So I'd like to thank you, the listening audience, and do stay on the line for... Are you looking at me? And I, I'll play a, I'll play a track in a minute because we've got a couple of minutes to spare. I thought you might be interested. I'll just give you a snapshot of the studio here that I record from. It's, it's got two walls painted red, two walls painted white, and we've actually had a bit of a refurb. We've got a large notice board with, say, no to racism. 2016 3CR Radical Radio because we've got our Radiothon coming up very soon and we've even, with a refurb, we've got um, the studios painted. We've also got new chairs which is pretty incredible because I interviewed one woman, an associate professor, uh, Jenny McMahon from Adelaide and she used to be part of... Uh, 3CR many years ago 
And when she came over here to do the, the live broadcast, it was quite funny because she, she looked around the studio and said, yes, it's the same studio. She said, oh, I think it's the same chair that I sat in 30 years ago. So, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of <laughs> we're a bit behind with updating things. So it's quite nice that we've got new chairs in the studio. So if uh, Jenny comes over again and does another interview... That'll be something to have new chairs to sit in. And and also, I, I sit in the studio by myself, but uh, just about every week I have my loyal canine companion, Coco. She's sitting here on my lap, and it's quite amazing because when we're at home, if anybody walks past the house, she barks very savagely at them. But in the studio, she knows. She knows not to bark. She knows to stay quiet. And she gets very excited about coming here and running around the the small courtyard we have here. So that's just a snapshot of the studio for you listeners at home. And we'll go out today with 